Occasionally, uh, I'll have ideas for children's books. Um, you might call it delusions of grandeur. And they never seem to get past the idea stage. I mean, I write them down, I edit them a few times, and then I wonder who I could get to illustrate them. And that's about as far as they've ever gotten. Maybe when I retire. And one of them is called, I'm not a morning bird. And surprise, surprise, it's about how we live in this wonderful land of birds, New Zealand. And at the merest uh, hint of light in the eastern sky, they burst into song. I think that's just before five o'clock these days, isn't it? Yeah. The native birds on the far-off bush-clad hills, the birds that dwell in the country hedgerows, the ones that nest in the large trees planted in the city centre, and the ones that uh, are in our gardens and that we desperately try and keep from roosting under the eaves of our roofs. And as each of these different sections of the dawn chorus join in, there's one creature, still in the dark, who slowly, lazily opens one eye and says, I'm not a morning bird. And the noises of the town waking up adds itself to the birds like a bass line and a rhythm track. But the creature in the dark only stirs, rolls over, mutters once more, I'm not a morning bird, and goes back to sleep. And then its mother sweeps back the curtains and lets the light in and says, Oh, come on, John, you'll be late for school. You've got to get up. Oh, Mum, I'm not a morning bird. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to it as a parent trying to get kids up. Or maybe you can relate to it because you're not really a morning bird. Well, Zechariah finishes his song using the metaphor of the dawning of a wonderful new day to talk about the new thing that God is doing, the dawning of salvation, the coming of the one his son John will herald, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And just as birds lift their beautiful voices to praise God and to celebrate the end of the darkness and the beginning of the new day, it's appropriate that this new thing that God is doing is celebrated with songs. You see, Christmas is worth singing about. And this year we're using the three songs in Luke's narrative of the birth of John and Jesus to explore again the significance of the Christmas story then and in our lives today. And Luke's gospel at this point in the first few chapters sounds like a musical. I mean, everybody bursts into song. And we catch a glimpse of the wonder of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Mary and Zechariah, the angels, and later Simeon and Anna, they all burst into song. Men and women, note that balance. Young and old, that's good, we fit into that. Heaven and earth burst into praise and rejoicing. Christmas is worth singing about. And today we're looking at Zechariah's song. The song appears in a story in which N.T. Wright says, Luke manages to both capture the big picture of what God is doing and also the small human stories that matter so much to God. Those small stories, our stories, that matter so much to God. So let's have a look at Zechariah's story. 
And Luke begins his gospel with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are devout and righteous people who were getting on in years. They were old. And they are childless. And in their society, that would have been, had a stigma attached that they'd done something wrong. That they were to be pitied, and Elizabeth in particular would be sidelined in her community. And you know, there are echoes and overtones of the story of Abraham and Sarah here, waiting for a child of promise. And Zechariah is serving God in the temple. He's a priest. And the angel Gabriel appears and tells him that he will have a son. And they are to call him John, which means God is gracious. And the child will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will be a prophet like Elijah. Now in Jewish thinking, Elijah was to be the one who heralded the coming of the Messiah. At the Passover, Jewish families now leave a place set for Elijah in the hope that this year he will appear and will proclaim that the Messiah is coming. Okay, Zechariah is very human and says to Gabriel, uh, how can I be sure of this? Hey, I'm old and well, to put it nicely, a wife's not a spring chicken either. And Gabriel says that because Zechariah didn't believe he'd be struck dumb until the birth of his son. Zechariah finishes his duty in the temple, goes home, and Elizabeth is soon pregnant. And Luke then parallels Zechariah's encounter with the angel with the announcement to Mary that she is pregnant, a narrative that culminates in Mary going and meeting Elizabeth when Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And Mary is able to realize that what the angel has told her is true, and so she breaks forth into praise as a result of it. That's the song that Lorne looked at last week with a bit of singing in the rain. And in the passage we had read out to us today, we see that what happens then is Elizabeth gives birth to a child, a son, much to the joy of the people who know them. And the family and the friends gather together to celebrate with the, with the couple at the child's circumcision. And when it comes to naming the child, people expect that he'll be named after his father. But Elizabeth chooses the name. She chooses the name John. God is gracious. And the people aren't sure about whether that's right because there's a naming tradition that it's someone in the family. And uh, so they use sign language to ask Zechariah. Now scholars have suggested that not only was Zechariah mute but probably deaf as well. That may have been age-related <clears throat> or as most women will tell you, their husbands are hard of hearing anyway. We have selective hearing. And now Zechariah has a chance to show his faith in God and the angel's message. So he writes, his name is John. And instantly Zechariah's voice returns and he sings or chants the song we have recorded in Luke's gospel. Known as the Benedictus. That's the Latin translation for the first word, bless or praise. For nine months, he'd had time to quietly contemplate what is going on and what it means. And now it flows out of him. And there's a pattern in these two early stories of the birth of these two significant children. Ordinary people who have put their trust in God are told the amazing things that God is going to do. 
that through God's power working in them, God is going to bring uh, his light, his salvation into the world. That they will see history change and God's kingdom inaugurated. And you know, they're the most unlikely people uh, for that to be seen through. Mary is a girl, a virgin in an obscure town in Nazareth. And, well, can anything of value come from Nazareth? I mean, it's on the wrong sides of the tracks. Now, I've got to say here that uh, I got into trouble in a church in the South Island for saying Mary was just an ordinary girl because there was a, a Catholic woman there who uh, was brought up with the dogma of you know, Mary's immaculate conception and all that sort of thing. And, and I want to say that Mary needs to be honoured as a woman of faith and as the mother of Jesus. Um, but I got into trouble. And she was from South America as well. So she was pretty fiery. <laughs> Not Mary, this uh, lady in the South Island. Yeah. But an ordinary person like you and I who put their trust in God. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. And in their society, they would have been somewhat ostracized. In his own words, they were past it. But God does something. He tells them that. You know, that angel Gabriel has to put in for some overtime over this period. And both parties are very human. They're blown away at the idea that God would do such things. And then as they see what the angel has said comes to fruition, they move from doubt to praise. And both these narrative threads woven to, uh, woven together and end in songs of praise. And they tell the big story of God, what God will do through ordinary people who put their trust in him. Let's have a look at Zechariah's song. Zechariah's song, like his son John the Baptist, ties in the themes and the hope of the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, with the coming of Jesus. Zechariah looks back and brings together the stories of God's calling of Abraham, his deliverance of his people from Egypt, his establishment of David's line, and says these things are a foretaste of what God is going to do now. God's covenant faithfulness to his people is going to have this new chapter, this new fulfillment. He will come to his people and he will redeem them. Now the word redeemed uh, talks about a kinsman who would come and pay the debt that you owed. In the ancient Near East, if you owed a debt, you could be sold into slavery unless someone paid your debt. And it was normally a kinsman that would come and do that. And when they paid what you had owed, then you were set free. God sent someone to redeem Israel, to redeem us. And in a very political way, uh, Zechariah sort of brings all the hopes of Israel together and says that God will send a saviour who will set his people free from their enemies, just like he'd sent Moses to do so long ago. That just as the reason Moses told Pharaoh to let God's people go was so that they could go and worship him in the wilderness, now we are being told that God will liberate his people again so that they will be able to serve him without fear in righteousness. For their lives. You know, and we often think of being saved as being saved from, saved from danger, saved from oppression, saved from sin, saved from death. But right here at the beginning of the gospel, we see that it's God's intention not only to save us from, but to save us for. 
We are being called to be God's new people in Christ. People who will serve him without fear. And because of what Christ has done for us, live in God's righteousness. And Luke's gospel is the only one that has a sequel. Luke maybe have gone to Hollywood, I don't know, but he's got a sequel. And here at the beginning of the story, we see why that story of the early church is so important. Because the community we read about in Acts, from Acts chapter 2 onwards, and that we see spreading throughout the Roman Empire, is the outworking of God's saving a people for himself. A people that will share the good news of what Jesus has done. And it's political because it's the kingdom of God spreading into the realms of humanity. And then in the second part of his song, we see that this is not just the political salvation that Israel had longed for, but it will be bigger and deeper and more wonderful. In verse 77, Zechariah ties in his own son ministry with the forgiveness of sins. You know, the thing that separates humanity from God will be dealt with. John's ministry was to call people to repent from their sins and to make a way for God's kingdom to come into their lives. And Jesus would make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And then in the words that echo prophecy in Isaiah and Micah, Zechariah picks up that wonderful metaphor of God shining his light into the world, a world of darkness, a world in the shadow of death. This new thing that God is doing goes beyond the political and deals with the oldest of human enemies, sin and death. Death that came into the world with our sin and is going to be defeated by the coming of God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's move on and look at Zechariah's son. The second part of Zechariah's song is a prophecy about his son John. He, John, is to be a special prophet. In fact, he's an interesting character because he's almost the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He stands between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Zechariah says that his son will have the role of being the one who prepares the way of the Lord. He will be the one who's talked about in Isaiah 40. The voice who cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make your path straight. He's the one who will baptize Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He acts like Samuel, another miracle child born to an older woman who anointed David. In this song and in the son, we see the big picture of God's continuity of the continuity of what God is doing. And it points to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the longing of God's people all through their history. That now God is going to let a new light dawn into the lives of human beings. Salvation from sin and death. Calling people to freedom. Freedom to know God and to serve him. God's purpose is to create a people who will live in such a way that they would reflect God's goodness and God's grace and God's presence. And you know, God continues to bring the dawn of this new age through ordinary people like you and me who have met Jesus, born at Christmas, have allowed him to transform their lives and are willing to let him set the agenda for our lives. Let me share an example of this 
When I was working at Auckland University at Maclaurin Chapel, I had an uh, opportunity to uh, host the International Justice Mission. They were there to talk to law students. And they're a group of Christian lawyers, criminal investigators, and professional carers who work for the freedom and rehabilitation of slaves. And it's a sad indictment on the world today that there are tw over 20 million people still in slavery. And those forced into prostitution in our world today. And inspired by their faith, they seek justice for the poor and the victims of injustice and police brutality and corruption. And through that, they, share, they seek to share Jesus and the kingdom of God in the darkest places on our planet. And Gary Haugen, the CEO of IGM, uh, told one story of a young man called John in Kenya. A group of policemen were drinking in a pub and they ran out of money. So they went out into the street and they accosted John. They beat him up, they stole the little money he had and went back to the pub. And almost as an afterthought and a way of making sure that he didn't report them, one of the policemen shot him and left him for dead. And John didn't die. He managed to crawl his way to a hospital nearby. And they operated on him. He lost an arm, and he had to spend many months recuperating. And when the police heard that he still, was still alive, to stop him from talking, they arrested him and threw him into prison without a trial and with no hope of getting out. One of the lawyers of International Justice Mission heard of this, and they set to work. They got him released from jail, something that the people in his community had never heard of. That doesn't happen. They prosecuted the five policemen who had abused him, and they went to prison. Again, unheard of. John went to college and trained to be a community advocate. See, the light that dawned at Christmas, the light that came into the world through Jesus Christ, came to shine through his people and into the darkness. It came and shone into the darkness of John and his community. You know, thy kingdom come. And you see, unlike the unfinished children's story I told you about, we are morning birds. God has called us, full of our doubts and uncertainties, to bring the dawning of his light into our world. And you may think you're past it, or that you're insignificant, or you're too young, or you're too that, or not enough of this. But the same God who worked in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary to usher in his kingdom is alive and working in our lives. Jesus has made that kingdom possible and called us into it and dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. And you know, the challenge is to be morning birds. What darkness is God calling you to shine that new dawn light into? It may not be Kenya. It may just be next door. It may be, you know, just through a simple word, shine of a show of compassion. We are morning birds. Zechariah's song tells us of a new day dawning in Jesus Christ. Christmas, it's worth singing about. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you very much for the beginning of Luke's gospel.
And uh, while it reads like a musical, we thank you for these songs and the deep truth that they tell us, the deep truth about the reality of who you are, Jesus, and what you have done. We pray that we might be morning birds, that we might know you, that we might be set free. I just pray that if there's people here today who don't know you, that, Lord, that you would just shine your light and reveal yourself to them. We also pray that you would help us to be light bearers, morning birds in the dark world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.